Amen. Good morning. How's everybody doing? I'm going to walk over here and see if the microphone is working, and it is. Praise the Lord. So now I can walk away from the podium, which may be a little dangerous um, for pastors who do that. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Uh, I do want to take a moment and uh, thank some unsung heroes in our church. Uh, Most people don't realize that when it comes to a worship service, there's a lot that happens in the planning of a service, but one thing that often goes unnoticed is the people you don't see who are operating all the technology in order to make services as smooth as possible. Um, These people, I kind of compare them to offensive linemen in football because uh, when they do their job and they do it well, uh, nobody really knows who they are and nobody ever thanks them. It's when they mess up that you notice them. Um, And the same can be true of offensive linemen in football, right? We know the only time they hear their name called is when they screw up. And so I want to take a moment and thank uh, the folks that make our services go with technology and our production. There's several in the booth this morning, one right here on the floor. And um, man, we couldn't couldn't do service without these guys. And so uh, you know who you are, and I'm extremely thankful for you and for that team that helps put that together. And so we don't say it enough, uh, but we are grateful. Um, for you and for your service. And so I would call them by name, but I'm afraid I'm going to embarrass them and I did not get permission to do that. And so I just wanted to say quickly, thank you uh, to you guys and you know who you are. So anyway, having said that, man, I do want to uh, just ask everybody this morning to let's just remember in prayer, if we could, uh, not only what we see happening in Afghanistan as, um, man, believers in Christ, we're just completely unable to gather still on this Lord's Day, but also our our friends and our sister churches uh, in and around the New Orleans area this morning. Um, many of you remember a couple of years ago, we went and uh, did a mission trip and, and kind of came along a church plant uh, that was there, Lakeshore Church, and I uh, had an opportunity to speak uh, with two of their staff members this week and asked them kind of what their plans were. And because of the hurricane that's uh, hitting, uh, some of the bands already hitting now, uh, they are unable to meet and their church is scattered Um, just across the region right now. And so they've asked for our prayers. And so I would ask that you remember Lakeshore Church and uh, George and um, their pastor. And uh, for those of you guys who went on that trip, you remember your guide for the week, your uh, lead for the week was Abby. Um, They're all safe. Uh, Their church family is safe at this moment. Everybody's kind of left the area. Uh, They not only packed up their stuff and boarded up the church, uh, but they also packed up and boarded up several of the families so they could all get out of the area safely. So from our standpoint at this point with our sister church there, um, those folks are safe. We just need to pray for just the next few hours and what's about to happen. Because if you're with us at Lakeshore in New Orleans, you heard a story about how the levee that broke during Katrina was literally blocks away from the church. And so the church was completely submerged underwater. And so we're praying that uh, by God's grace, that would not happen this time around. So if you would, uh, today and this afternoon, as you watch the news and you hear um, uh, Jim Cantori or whoever it is you watch uh, that get in the way of these storms, just remember those people and continue to pray for them and pray for our sister churches there. So anyway, having said that, I want to welcome you back again. We are in our study in the midst of Philippians here, still in chapter one of Philippians uh, this morning in our series that we've called Joyful Unity. Now, um, we are still in the opening section of this letter where, again, we're going to see Paul. Uh, Paul, who is the pastor, really pause for a moment to pray for his friends and to pray for his partners in 
the gospel. Now, Paul is going to pray in our passage today specifically uh, for the local church, the church at Philippi, to not only grow in love and discernment, but also grow in fruitfulness so that in their lives, both in actions and word, it would be God who is glorified. Now, again, we just read scripture about this this morning. We just sing about God being glorified, and so it fits right into our message this morning. Now, this opening section, if you haven't noticed already, over the past two weeks, it has really been filled with both joy and affection, both to God and who God is, but also a joy and affection to and for the local church. And so what we are seeing played out as we think back over our previous texts that we've looked at, and as we look today at verses 9 through 11, we clearly begin to get a glimpse uh, into Paul's passion that is being put on full display right here at the very beginning of the letter. So we should already in the first 11 verses of Philippians chapter 1 begin to see a glimpse into really what can best be described as Paul's worship life, which I believe is something that we can all learn from as believers today, this morning. You see, for Paul, when it comes to worship, when it comes to the worship of Jesus Christ, you see, Jesus was not an object to be read about for Paul. Nor was Jesus an object to be studied, but rather it was Jesus who is the creator. It was Jesus who is the redeemer, and he is the one to be feared and to be cherished. You see, Jesus for Paul is the object of our worship and not some sort of character in a book that we should sit around and scrutinize day in and day out. And so before we jump into our text this morning, we have to ask ourselves this question. When we come to worship today as believers, are we coming to worship Jesus or are we here because we were told that that's what we were supposed to do? You see, are we here today to worship the one true and holy God? Or are we here today to check off some sort of mystical spiritual box and say, yep, I attended worship, no idea what happened in worship, no idea what was said or sung about in worship, but I was there and therefore that's good enough to get me in the club. Let me unpack what I mean by that question for just a moment. You see, when we come to worship as believers today, We have to ask ourselves, are we active in our participation of worship? Are we singing with Jesus Christ as our focus? Are we listening and affirming in our hearts and our minds the prayers that we hear from the pulpit? Are we reflecting upon the spoken word when it is read? When it comes to the the sermon itself, are we listening attentively and actively when a sermon is being preached? Now, many would ask at this point, man, why does all of this matter in church and in worship? Well, the answer is very simple, and we're going to see Paul unpack this for us this morning. You see, when we come together for worship, we're not here to worship ourselves We're not here to worship individuals on a stage. We're not here to worship the pastors, but rather we are here to worship the king of the universe. You see, that's really what drove Paul's 
passion. It's what drove Paul to look at the believers and even write to them and say, hey, follow me as I follow Christ. So as we look at our text today, we see that passion itself is what led Paul to offer for the local church what can best be described as a pastor's prayer for the local church. So if you have your Bibles, and man, I hope you do, I would encourage you to turn with me to Philippians chapter 1. We're going to begin reading in verse 9. And once you have found your place, if you can and you are able, I would invite you now to stand in honor of the reading of the Word of God. Now again, this is Paul writing to the church at Philippi. Paul imprisoned, remember shackled, probably to a guard. And he writes to the local church and he says in verse 9, And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Father God, we come before you right now thanking you so much for this morning, and we thank you for the opportunity that we have now to study your word. Father, we ask and pray that in these next few moments, God, may you and you alone be glorified. So Father, whatever distraction, whatever hindrance right now is just holding us away from understanding your truth, Father, I pray that you'd remove it. Father, speak to our our hearts and our minds today. God, help us to hear your word, to understand your word. Father, I pray that today we would not only have a better understanding of who we are, but God, that we'd have a clearer understanding of who you are. And so, Father, as we've already sang about, as we've already read and prayed in your word, Father, we ask in these next few moments that you and you alone would be glorified. Jesus, we love you. We thank you. We praise you for this day and for this opportunity and this time. And now, Father, we pray that you move. For it's in your precious and holy name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Now, again, as you see before us this morning, we actually have a very small text today. And honestly, I believe for good reason. You see, I want us to see this morning that, again, Paul was a very passionate man. And so when you begin to read this letter, particularly Philippians in its entirety, you begin to see that Paul's letter overflows with affection, again, both for God, but also for the local church. Now, I want you to pay attention to something because we keep talking about Paul's passion at this moment. But I want you to understand that Paul's passion actually predates his days of being and becoming a Christian. You see, Paul didn't become passionate when he came to faith in Jesus Christ. We know this as we see earlier accounts of Paul before he became a Christian, but rather in this particular moment as a Christian, it was Paul's passion that was now redirected by Jesus Christ all for the glory of God. So when we look at our text this morning, Paul is going to to teach that when you become a Christian, you now become a student of the word of God for the rest of your life. And at the same time, as our knowledge grows, according to the word, we should also grow in our discernment for that which is excellent. So you see, as a Christian, we are called to live wisely being informed by the word of God and therefore growing in our love for one another. 
Now, I got to tell you, I, I love these three verses. I particularly love Paul's prayer here for the church. In fact, this is something that when, I, when I've read preparing for this, summer, uh, this sermon and as I've read in, in days and months before, I'd often come back to this prayer and, and pray this prayer not only for myself, but also pray it for our church as well. So I would encourage you that as we wrap up our day, block off verses 9 through 11 and begin praying them over, your, over yourselves, over your home, and over our church. Because you see, in this prayer, Paul calls for a dual need for both love and knowledge. Now, for Paul, to love someone meant that we sacrificially served one another. And so we see that there's a call for love and knowledge. And so what we need to realize is as a church today, love and knowledge actually work together. So as we walk through our text this morning, we're going to see Paul's request in verse 9 which then leads to the results that he hopes that God will produce in all of us in verses 10 and the first half of verse 11, which will then lead to Paul's ultimate goal, which is that we would rejoice and praise God for his glory, which we see in the second half of verse 11. So again, we're going to look at Paul's prayer this morning, and we're going to break it down into three parts. Request, results, and rejoice. So let's look together again at the pastor's prayer for the local church. First, we see the request, which is found in verse 9. Now pay attention, this is Paul's basic request for the church. He prayed that the church would grow in a love that is informed by both knowledge and discernment. In fact, he says right here at the offset, offset, and it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more. You see, Paul here is praying that our love would not be nor ever become stagnant within the church. Rather, Paul prays that our love would increase for one another. And so Paul acknowledges the presence of love within the community, but at the same time, notice that as Paul's praying, he was not content with the status quo of love within the church. You see, Paul believed that their love could grow even more. And so what Paul was praying for in the local church is that he wanted to see the local church share a biblical love. This is a love that is both sacrificial, but also a love that now involves action. You see, for Paul, he wanted the fellowship of believers to grow in their love for one another. And again, not just a love for some people. Remember, if you remember our text last week, but like we said last week, this is an all y'all kind of love, okay? He wanted everybody within the church to increase in their love. Now again, why was love so important within the context of the local church? We well, see for Paul, it wasn't just important for the local church, it was also important for a watching world. In fact, if you go back and read the Gospel of John in chapter 13, Jesus tells us that we will, they will know, they will know that we are his disciples by how we love one another. So you see, for the Christian today, it is an essential mark of the Christian to love one another. It is an essential mark of the Christian to fight for unity within the local church. And so we have to ask ourselves this morning, do you love your brothers and your sisters in Christ? Well, the way you answer that question is this, do you sacrificially serve them? 
Do you fight for unity within the church? Do you even seek unity within the church? Paul then goes on to say, with knowledge and all discernment here in the text. Now, Paul knows and understands that we need knowledge and wisdom in order to know how to love. You see, as Christians today, our love for one another is and should be biblically informed. So when we, when we see uh, Paul speaking of knowledge, he's speaking of a knowledge of the, the things of God. He's speaking of God's truth. He's speaking of God's word, which in his word, we can find the very will of God. So when it comes to truth, we can understand this, that the knowledge of Jesus Christ should be what multiplies our love, not only for God, but also for one another. Again, I love how Paul here is putting together knowledge and love. You see, for Paul this morning, apart from knowledge of God and apart from knowledge of his word, we will not love in a way that glorifies God. You see, love itself is rooted in the very knowledge of God. You see, it's from Jesus Christ, from the examples we have of Christ, today from the the gospels itself that we learn the meaning of service. It's from the the actions and the words and the word of God that we learn the meaning of forgiveness and we learn the meaning of how to lay down our lives for one another. You see, it was Paul speaking to the church of Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 2. He says, and walk in love. But then pay attention to what he says. Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. You see, a knowledge of how Jesus loved us is necessary if we want to walk in love with one another. But you see, here's the reality for us today. And this is the reality of our culture and sadly it's becoming a a sad reality for our church. People today want to separate the knowledge of God's word from love. We want to separate wisdom and separate discernment from love itself. So much so that when you look at churches today, especially Western churches, we see that love is now associated more with tolerance and feelings than it is with truth and with righteousness. In fact, today, what what frustrates me so much right now is even when we try to correct people, we get labeled as intolerant. We get labeled as harsh. We get labeled as unloving. When we hear people say things that go against the word of God and we simply seek to correct them because we love them, we are the ones who are now being labeled. I don't know how it works in your homes, but in my home, it works this way. When my wife and I see our children doing something that needs to be corrected, what do we do? We correct them. Why? Because we love them. Because we love them. I mean, could you imagine for a moment if all of a sudden, I'm going to pick on one of my children. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I didn't ask permission. I'm asking forgiveness, okay? So forgive me. Now my children are looking at each other going, which one? I'm just going to pick one. Miley. Is she looking at me? She's not. Okay, good. Let's say Miley does something wrong in my house. Let's say, let's say mom and I ask Miley to do something and Miley looks at us directly and says, no, I will not do that. 
Let's say we ask Miley to go clean up the kitchen and she decides instead of putting the dishes in the dishwasher or cleaning the dishes in the sink, her version of cleaning is just slamming all the dishes on the tile. Let's say they shatter into a million pieces. And then we ask Miley, Miley, why did you do that? You know that was wrong. She says, I don't care what you think. Do you think me and Allison are going to look at her and say, hey, it's okay, I love you. There's going to be some correction there, right? My wife's looking at me like, oh, you better believe. There's going to be some correct. There's going to be hellfire and brimstone coming down in our house. But why would we do that? Because we love our daughter. You see, it's the same for us as Christians today. Man, we should love one another, not to nitpick. I'm not talking about nitpicking, okay? We should love one another to be able to have hard conversations with each other. We should love one another to say, hey, listen, I see this, I see this blind spot in your life, and man, I, I, I want to see you get this right with the Lord before you stand before God. In fact, I'm going to tell you this this morning. This is when we need to be scared as Christians. We need to be scared when all of a sudden we recognize in our life that we're making mistakes and there's no one around us to help correct us. You know why? Because that means people have stopped loving you. That's because people, people realize, man, you're not even worth correcting at this point. You see, we need to love one another enough to stand on truth. And I'm not talking about your truth and my truth. I'm talking about biblical truth, okay? We've bought into a nonsense as a society that that tells people, well, my truth is my truth. No, it's not. There is but one truth, and that truth is found in the word of God. Everything else is a matter of opinion, okay? So we need to be able to speak with one another in love. You see, here's the reality we need to learn from Paul's words already here in verse 9. Love as a Christian must be tied to truth in order to be distinctly Christian love. I'm going to say it again. Love as a Christian must be tied to truth, biblical truth, in order to be distinctly Christian love. Now notice what Paul does here coming back to our text. He starts using the word discernment. And again, Paul points out for us that there is a difference between the word knowledge and the word discernment. For laymen today, let's just define knowledge this way, doing what is right. For discernment, let's define it this way simply today, to do what is best. So when it comes to discernment, discernment is literally related to knowledge, but in a more practical sense. And so what Paul is saying to us this morning is, look, the best way for me as a Christian to love someone is based upon what the word of God says. So when it comes to biblical wisdom, we need both discernment and wisdom according to the word or knowledge according to the word to know how best to love someone. Now, why are we talking about this this morning? Because Paul understood the reality of human beings. When it comes to relationships, relationships are complex. They're hard. Case in point, there goes my buddy Charlie. It's a challenge sometimes dealing with relationships. It's a challenge dealing with marriage relationships. Nobody amen that. Okay, praise the Lord. 
There's a challenge that comes from our friendships. There's a challenge that comes from the relationships that we share even within the church. And so what we need to be doing as believers is we need to be praying for wisdom. We need to be praying for discernment when determining how best to love someone and how best to serve someone. So when we come back to our text, Paul wanted the church at Philippi to know Christ's love for the church and how they are now called by God to unite together as one. You see, as a church, we need to recognize that there are differences in the room. But it doesn't mean we push one another out. Rather, it means that we embrace one another. Because as Christians in the room, we should always seek to put the needs of others ahead of our own. And let me unpack that because that was a very general, generic, political statement I just made. I recognize that. So let me unpack it a little more. As a, as a church here at Southside Baptist Church, as adults, okay, talking to the adults, I want to clarify, all right, you know who you are, all right? The adults in the room, our concern and focused should be on the lost people within our community. There are people all around us who work with us, who live in our neighborhoods, and they do not know Jesus Christ. Our responsibility is to share the gospel with them. And yet at the same time, our focus and concern should also be for our children and for our students who are within our church. It should be our responsibility as adults to train up the next generation of leaders because we're not going to be here forever. And if the church begins to fail, it's not going to be because the word of God failed. It's going to be because we failed. As adults, we bear that responsibility. And so it should be our priority to make the gospel known. It should be our priority to train up the next generation in the word of God. You see, when it comes to growing in our love, coming back to Paul, Paul teaches us that we need a knowledge of Jesus Christ according to the word of God. And we need a discerning heart and mind in our lives and within our relationships. So as believers, we should be joining with Paul this morning and praying that our love for one another would increase. We should join in praying with Paul that our love would be based upon knowledge, knowledge of Jesus Christ and knowledge according to his word. And we should be praying along with Paul that we would know and discern how best to express Christ-centered love to one another and to a lost world that desperately needs hope. This then leads to Paul's second point of his prayer. We talked about the request in verse 9. Now we look at verse 10 and the first half of verse 11, and we now see the results. And so here Paul pray, uh, Paul's prayer now turns to the results of the request that he has made. He even says in the text, so that you may approve what is excellent. Now, it's interesting that he uses the word approve here because that word literally means to examine or to put to the test what 
we have before us. The very next word is to then see that the goal of approving or testing is the work is to determine whether or not it is excellent or that it is different or best for the Christian according to the word of God. So notice what Paul is praying here in verse 10. He's literally praying and calling for a tryout or an audition, if you will. Paul is telling us this morning that everything we do should be evaluated in order to determine if it is the best based on God's standard of a growing, knowledgeable, and discerning love. In other words, as Christians... We are called to distinguish between what is right and what is wrong. We are called to distinguish between what is better and what is best. As Christians, we are called to distinguish between the things that matter and the things that don't, according to the word. But then notice what Paul says. He continues from here. He says, and so be pure and blameless. Now, why would Paul make this a part of his prayer? Why would, he, why would he make this a part of the results of the request? You see, Paul's desire was to see the people of God prepared for the day of Christ's return. Literally, Paul is saying at this point, listen, this is why I'm making the request is because I want you to know and understand that Jesus is coming again. And so we must be ready for that day. And so I want you to think about something this morning. Knowing that Jesus Christ is coming again. Knowing that one day we are going to see him again whether here when he returns or whether we step into eternity, what we know is this, is that knowing one day we are going to come face to face with our Lord and Savior, that should change the way we think and the way we live. And so Paul here calls for us to prepare both our inner character, but also to check our motives as we seek to love one another. Paul tells us this morning that true Christian discipleship is about being authentic and it's about being real with one another. You see, as Christians, man, we need to, we need to think about our own lives individually. Again, I'm not talking about, about corporate things here. I'm talking about interpersonal struggles that we now have. I think if we, I think I'd be curious to see what it would look like if all of a sudden on the projector, the heart of every individual believer was flashed before us. I mean, what do you think would be exposed about your life on the screen? You see, here's the reality. Within each of us, we have sins that we need to kill. Within each of us, there's sins of envy. There's sins of pride. There's sins of of jealousy and selfishness. There's sins of complaining. There's sins of arguing. There's there's arguing and complaining that leads us to, to mislead 
members of the body of Christ. There's, there's sins of complaining and arguing that, that will cause others to stumble because we are simply seeking to create division within the church. And so as believers, since we are called to grow in Christ, both in knowledge and discernment, do we realize that we are also now called to grow in our unity as well? Now again, Paul, coming back to his text, then refers to the day of Christ. And so again, here's another moment for us to do some self-reflection this morning. Man, when it comes to the day of Christ, are we trusting in Jesus as our righteousness? Are we pursuing what is pure and what is right according to the word of God? Are we living for Jesus Christ or are we simply seeking to fulfill our own personal sinful desires? Man, I want you to understand that there's going to be a day where we are all going to stand before God. All of us. All y'all. Myself included. So what will that day be like for us? Man, for the Christians in the room, you might be thinking, dude, that's going to be a day of celebration. I'm going to go ahead and tell you. I'm going to have a moment where I'm going to pause and go, I am unworthy to be here. And then that moment is going to flee. And then it's going to be the dead sprint of a defensive lineman running towards a gate. Okay? I don't know. That moment may change. It changes every day. When I think about what my first encounter with Jesus Christ is going to be like, it changes every day. Okay? Some days, I don't know how I'm going to be. Today, I'm feeling like I'm going to run to him, bear hug him. I may spear tackle him to the ground in tears, okay? It just may happen, all right? Because why? Because I'm looking forward to that day as a Christian. I am, I am looking forward to that day, okay? Does it mean that I'm not anxious about things? Does it mean I don't get nervous about things? Does it mean I don't worry about things? Yeah, man, I, I do. That's, that's my own human nature. That's the sin within me. I have those days. But here's the difference. In those days, sometimes... I'm reminded that I belong to Jesus Christ and my hope is found in him and I have nothing to worry about. Honest confession, that doesn't happen every day for me. But that's where my hope lies. But think about this for a moment. As a Christian, that's where your hope is. But what about those who don't know Christ? What about those friends and those family members, those coworkers? What about those who, who don't know Christ and they don't realize that judgment is coming for them? I want you to understand that, man, for me in my mind, there are two mental images that come to my mind when I think about what judgment day is going to be like. One is for uh, the non-Christian and what that must be like, and the second is for the Christian. So let me just paint, kind of paint a picture for you, okay? When I, when I think about my own encounter with Jesus Christ, I think there's two ways this could possibly go. One is, man, I could become incredibly nervous, if I, if I were not a Christian and all of a sudden you started talking to me about death and talking to me about judgment, I might start getting a little bit nervous because I don't know what's going to happen on the other side. I don't know how that conversation is going to go if I weren't a Christian. And so the way I equate that is I think back to my college days. I think back to my, to my freshman year when I was interviewing to get into the communications department. And all of a sudden I got an email um, from a professor named Dr. Murphy who I knew who he was. He was kind of the, the cutting edge of the field that I wanted to go into. And so I'm sitting there watching TV 
and I'm just watching the news. Why? I don't know. I just am. I'm having dinner. That was just the one thing that was on. And then all of a sudden, they cut over to a, a political analyst to give an idea of what this next election is going to look like. And wouldn't you know, the man they interviewed was a man named Dr. Murphy, who was the head of the communications department at the University of Georgia. Now, that may not mean anything to you, but for me as a freshman, that was a huge deal because at 9.30 the next morning, that's the man I was meeting with who was going to determine whether or not I was worthy enough to get into the communications department. So I'm going to go ahead and tell you, I watched this interview. That dude is brilliant. He still is, by the way. And so what happened was the next morning, I show up in his office. It was a cold winter day in Athens, Georgia. I show up in his office, and I'm going to go ahead and tell you how nervous I am. His door was already open. I announced myself. He told me to walk in. I want you guys to understand, I couldn't even get my jacket unzipped. Real simple. There was nothing complicated. Buttons, unzip, jacket comes off. I could not do that. Literally, Dr. Murphy sat there for a minute and a half with his hand extended like this to shake mine, and I couldn't get my jacket unzipped. I was like, I'm an idiot. There's no way he's going to let me in. By God's grace, he did. He accepted my application in the communication department. Here's what was funny. I wasn't, I wasn't in his class yet because he was teaching upper-level courses. Now, by God's grace, I would get into his courses, but I remember seeing him a couple months later at a baseball game. He remembered me. He said, hey, I literally walked up. We made eye contact, right? We're looking each other dead in the eye. And he said, hey, Johnny, how's it going? You want me to tell you what I said? Nothing. I just walked by him like he didn't exist and sat in my seat. Now, I'm going to go ahead and tell you, a year later, I ended up in one of his courses. I prayed that he'd forget that moment. He didn't. It's the first thing he said. Mr. Harvey, the man who ignores me at baseball games. Thankfully, he became one of my mentors in college, and that relationship worked out. But you get the idea. I was nervous in that moment, okay? So that's what it's going to be like for some people. We're going to encounter some people. And, and Nicholas, we were, Nick, we were talking about this today. We're going to encounter people who have no idea what's going to happen to them in eternity. And so they're nervous about what's going to happen. And so as people who know eternal life, as people who know the life that can be found in Jesus Christ, we have a message of good news, a message of wisdom, a message of love that we can now share with the world that desperately needs it. And so there's a second image I want you to see this morning. And that image is, is for those of us who believe in Christ. When I think about what that moment's going to be like, man, the only thing I can compare it to is, is really the day that I got married. I mean, really, it was, it was incredible. I mean, I couldn't, I, I remember sitting back behind the, the podium area backstage, and I remember just waiting for this moment. I mean, I could not believe I was getting married. Some incredible woman said yes to me. No, I'm not up here trying to score brownie points today. But I couldn't believe it, neither could my groomsmen. But I remember several nights before, I remember gathering with a bunch of men, my groomsmen. We got together, we worshiped, we praised God together, we studied the word of God together. Dude, it was just a beautiful time. I mean, it was beautiful. Just to be able to worship together with my brothers. I remember the day before the wedding, and we were hanging out at the hotel, getting ready for the reception. And I remember everywhere I went, all my guys went with me, and they just stared at me. I mean, it was kind of awkward. I'm going to go ahead and be honest with you. But they did. They just kind of stared at you. And then I remember I got to the wedding day. I remember being backstage, and it was me and my brother. The groomsmen were 
uh, escorting folks in, and then they were going to come in with the rest of the bridal party, and so it was me, my brother, who was my best man, and the pastor, Brother O. And I remember being backstage, and we could hear the music, and then me and my brother were talking for a little bit, and then it got real quiet. It was kind of that work-up moment. If you, if you got married, you know what I'm talking about. It's that kind of, yeah, we're doing this. It's on. I hope I look half as good as, as, as the, the woman that's about to walk down the aisle, but that's probably not going to be the case. But I'm going to try anyway. A bunch of weird people are going to be staring at me. It's going to be real interesting. And so I'm having this moment in my brain, and all of a sudden I look behind me, and I see something I've never seen before in my life. My brother was in tears. I've never seen my brother cry. And I asked him, I looked at him, I was like, why are you crying, dude? You don't cry, you're tough. And he was like, I can't believe my little brother's getting married. And then I started crying. And thank God we didn't have a microphone. I mean, we're not talking like little light tears of joy. No, we're talking like grown man sobbing snot. I mean, we could have ruined a couple tuxes in that moment. And then all of a sudden, Brother O looked back at us, our pastor. And Brother O is an incredible, incredible pastor. And he probably said the most articulate, biblical thing I've ever heard anybody say to me. Brother O looked at me and said, hey, get it together, boys. <laughs> he was right. But here was the great part. We walked out there. I took a moment to look around because I realized that'd be the only time ever in my life that all the people that I loved and cared about, that meant the world to me, we were all going to be together. I had family. I had my wife's family. We had friends. Friends that I'd not seen since college were there. I mean, it was just incredible, incredible time. High school friends were there. It was just unbelievable. And then all of a sudden, man, the bridal party comes in. And then they open the doors and boom. Man, there's my wife. There's the woman that I was blessed to spend the rest of my life with. It was like a dream. I, I couldn't stop smiling. In fact, if you were to watch our wedding video, Allison and I talked through the whole service. Like it was, it was awkward. It really was. We talked a lot. We, I think we said, I love you a thousand times to each other. We kept smiling. It was a lot of tears. You know, if, you, if, you, if you've gone through marriage, you know what it's like. You know what it's like. Okay? If you haven't, by God's grace, you're okay. Okay? You're okay. Give it time. Be patient. But it was one of the most beautiful things I could remember. But I'm going to tell you what blew me away about that moment was this. The moment my wife started walking down the aisle was the moment that all of my priorities and all of my decisions changed. In that moment, I realized as a man, soon to be a husband, I was going to have to reprioritize everything that I was saying, everything that I was doing. And so I want you to, to keep that image in your mind. Maybe you need to think about uh, your own marriage for a moment or your, your future marriage in a moment. Think about that for a moment and then come back to the text and hear what Paul says to us as believers. As Christians today, Knowing that Jesus Christ is coming, knowing it's imminent, knowing it's going to be, it's going to happen like a flash of lightning. Okay, it's going to be, it's going to be faster than, than doors opening in the back of the church. But knowing that that day is coming, knowing that we are called to eagerly await that moment. If you know it's coming, then shouldn't it lead us to reorder our priorities? Knowing what is to come for all eternity? Shouldn't it cause us to re-examine 
what we think is important and make sure that what we believe is important aligns with what Jesus Christ calls important according to the word. Coming back to our text, Paul's going to continue. He says the phrase now, filled with the fruit of righteousness. Now here Paul reminds us that we have been again declared righteous by God. We've been made acceptable through Jesus Christ. So Paul now says to us, listen, live a righteous life that comes from the growth that we now seek in Jesus Christ. In other words, for us today, we are called to pursue what matters most in life which is loving Jesus as our Lord, loving others in order to glorify God and making him known with pure and in, with pure intentions and pure motives. In other words, it means that we are not a complaining people. It means that we are not a gossiping people, but rather when we speak as Christians, we speak with love, we speak with service in mind, with hearts of gratitude, and we seek to love and serve one another in a way that is pure and right and best. That's what it means to love with knowledge and discernment. Paul moves on from there into our final point here in the second half of verse 11, and he gives us the word rejoice. Here we see Paul answers the question, man, why does Paul, he answers his own question. Why does he make these requests? Why does he seek these results? He answers it when he says, to the glory and praise of God. And so here's the conclusion of our opening section. Paul reminds us that the grand reason for all things is that all of history is now moving to this climactic conclusion, which is where God will be glorified. That is the end result of all things. In fact, if you're in here and you're a parent in the room and I throw out catechism, so all my catechism folks real quick, what is the chief end of man? To glorify God and enjoy him forever. You see, Paul tells us this is what we are working towards. We are working with the end in mind where all that is left is the glory of God. In fact, we learn to pray this way when we look back at the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. It says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. You see, as Christians, we should have a longing to see God's name made great. And so we have to ask ourselves this morning, man, how are we praying? How are we seeking to see God glorified in his people? How are we praying and seeking God to be glorified within ourselves? How are we, how are we now making his glory known to the nations, to a world that desperately needs to hear the good news of Jesus Christ? Now again, I want to remind you, God is not dependent upon us to bear fruit. Let me rephrase that. God is not dependent upon us to glorify him. How do we know this? Because when you read John chapter 15, verse 5, it tells us apart from him, we can do nothing. But rather, God allows us to know him. It is God who is called us to himself. It is God who has redeemed us. It is God who has declared us righteous and out of our joy for what God has done, we get to glorify him, excuse me, him. 
You see, for us, this is our greatest purpose in life. Our greatest purpose is to glorify God. And so this was Paul's prayer for the church. Paul prayed that they would have a passion for God's glory. He prayed that that God would be glorified in their lives. He prayed that God would be glorified in their homes and in their church and in their city and that God would be glorified in our world. You see, Paul prayed that the way we love, the way that we think, the way that we live, that it would all be in view of the coming of Jesus Christ where we will again see God being glorified. And so we have to ask ourselves this morning, do we live with this passion each and every day? Man, as you can see, Paul had a passion for the local church, but Paul also had a passion for making Christ known. You see, Paul's desire for the church at Philippi was to to share in that same passion that he had. And so Paul, in this moment, did the best thing that he could do for the church at Philippi. He prayed for them. He offered a request that would bring about results that would lead the people to rejoice. And so we have to ask ourselves this morning, man, what about us? What is our passion? What is our desire? Is it to glorify God? Is it to make him known? Man, my prayer for us this morning is that we would would pray, that we would worship, that we would seek purity, that we would seek unity, that we would seek growth and righteousness, and we would do it all for the glory of God, and we would do it together. You see, when we begin to do those things as Christians, man, this will allow the world to see our love, a love that should lead to joyful unity. This is what Paul prays for when he offers a pastor's prayer to the local church. Man, let's pray together.